This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is now September the 13th, 2023. The Orioles are 91-53 and 53 on the season after a 5-2 loss to the Cardinals on Tuesday night. I'm going to get into the not-so-lovely totals and what's concerning about them the rest of the way, but for now, let's focus on some good news because the Minnesota Twins made a late comeback against the Tampa Bay Rays last night and then held on to win their game 3-2, to so the Orioles did not end up losing any ground in the American League East. Despite as annoying as their own game was, the Orioles' division lead sits at three games with 18 left to play. The magic number of Orioles wins and Rays losses that will lead to the Orioles clinching the division is 15. So really from here on, any day where the magic number goes down is a good day. And as much as it's annoying that the Orioles lost, you know, if the Orioles had had a better effort against Adam Wainwright, it would be 14. But again, let's not try and worry about it too much. Any day it goes down is a good day. And I mean, as for Tuesday, I really think the big story is it was the John Means return after 67 games and 345 innings pitched for the 2019 through 2021 Orioles means finally got to take the mound for a good Orioles team. If you look only at the run line in the box score, his first start back was a disappointment, allowed three earned runs and five innings pitch. That's a 5.40 ERA. It is not what you want, but you don't have to dig too much deeper than the surface, and things look a lot better than that because Means, in his five innings, only allowed four hits and did not walk a batter. Two of the four hits that he did allow were cheapo bloopers, one uh, 73.3 mile an hour exit velocity, the other 70.9, and then there was a defensive miscue, I thought, as there was a slow roller hit to Ryan O'Hearn at first base. O'Hearn ended up checking second as if he might get a double play rather than going towards first base himself to get an out. I think that ended up costing the Orioles a run or maybe one of maybe the third run that means allowed. Um, and in means fashion, unfortunately, two of the three runs came on solo home runs. In the first inning back, Paul Goldschmidt punished a mistake. That was annoying. Uh, you know, I was on here thinking, okay, the left field fence, now that it's farther back, should be good for John Means. Well, Goldschmidt hit it into the bullpen, and the bullpen did not move any farther back. But that guy now has 339 career home runs, so there's worse guys to give up a home run to. The other home run, a bit more annoying, as the pride of Towson University, Richie Palacios lunged for an outside corner pitch and did enough to float the, a fly ball to the front of the flag court for a home run. Now, Palacios later in the game got a much less cheap homer off of Jorge Lopez. So two home run game for him. Good day for him. Um, but as far as means, overall, it was enough, I think, to feel encouraged about him rather than discouraged. Again, as far as means, although I am discouraged about the offense. But there had been some reports that means his velocity 
was down in the minors. On Tuesday's game, he averaged 92.2 miles an hour on his fastball, according to StatCast. That is a slight decline of 0.6 miles an hour compared to last year, but that's it'll work. And Means ended up being lifted at 75 pitches. I do hope the Orioles will be able to push him over 90 by season's end, although they are running out of time to do that. It seemed like it was more of a matchup thing based on what manager Brandon Hyde said after the game that uh, they really wanted to get into the bullpen rather than have Means face a third time for the middle of the Cardinals lineup. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, If the Orioles go with a six-man rotation, it's going to be three more starts for Means after this one, and that would, if I'm counting right, potentially include the last regular season game going to means. So then it's like, well, what do they do for a postseason rotation? You know, uh, that's a problem for three weeks from now when we know whether the Orioles get the buy or not, how many starters they're going to need to line up or not. Uh, you know how the other pitchers look and how their health is over the last few weeks. But I feel like for now, there's enough reason based on means first outing to think maybe they can pencil him in as the number four guy in a, uh, in a, in a series rotation. We'll see. I am a little discouraged because, you know, the Orioles offense against Adam Wainwright, we talked on the last episode, entered the game with an 8.11 ERA. It is down to 7.95 now after he allowed two runs over five innings pitched. So he did pass the Mattis test, so named for the by me for the uh, 2011 season of Brian Mattis, where every game of his except for one, his ERA escalated. Um all, all the way up to 10.69, which really the icing on top that really makes the Mattis test is in his final game, he entered with a 10.68 ERA. And Brian Mattis, in the final game he pitched in 2011, allowed the exact amount of runs so that his ERA ticked up to 10.69. That's when it was ludicrous. Eight is when you start to get pretty crazy to not pass the test. Uh, and, and Wainwright, he did pass the test. And that's annoying. He was able to do it because the Orioles' clutch hitting really failed. There was a Masson graphic during the game that noted the Orioles actually entered the game with the best OPS with runners in scoring position of any major league team this year, an 850 mark over the whole season. That is probably now behind the Braves after what the Orioles did on Tuesday night. The Braves were sitting at 849 and I believe had a bit more... Um, clutch hitting themselves as they ended up winning in extra innings against the Phillies. So line it all up. The first inning, the there was a pair of leadoff walks to start the inning before three straight outs, no runs. Second inning, Gunnar Henderson, a one-out double, no runs. Third inning, the Orioles loaded the bases with one out, and then James McCann grounded into a double play. Hit one of two double plays he grounded into in that game. Uh, in all, the Orioles went 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position up through the fifth inning when they finally broke through, uh, getting a walk, a single, a single, and a ground out to score two runs in the fifth inning. By this point, the Orioles were trailing 3 to nothing, and that cut it to 3 to 2. The Orioles unfortunately did not score again in the remainder of the game, despite a seventh inning rally where they had first and second with none out. And then Cedric Mullins grounded into a double play, diffusing what could have turned into a possible big inning and ended up being a zero in the runs column. So the Orioles had one for 12 with runners in scoring position in the game overall. 
And I'll tell you, runners in scoring position numbers don't always mean everything because the Minnesota Twins, who, as I mentioned, thankfully helped the Orioles by winning on Tuesday night, they did not get a hit at all with runners in scoring position. They were 0 for 4 in their own game. They only left five men on base, but they were still able to score three runs. So thank you uh, to Willie Castro, who hit the two-run go-ahead home run in the seventh inning for the Minnesota Twins. But, you know, the Orioles, they're going to get another high ERA pitcher uh, tonight with their former prospect, Drew Rahm. Rahm is also on the soft-tossing side, so hopefully that doesn't bode poorly for them as the soft-tossing veteran Wainwright did. Uh, We will see. I mean, we can't count on the Twins to win another game against the Rays, so the Orioles need to take care of their own business. And then, you know, it's going to be huge this extended weekend series Thursday through Sunday because... Every Orioles win against the Rays peels two off the magic number, and any one Orioles win in that series gives the Orioles the tiebreaker, the head-to-head tiebreaker over the Rays for the season. But no looking past Rom or the Cardinals on Wednesday, otherwise they'll get burned again. And um, again, I mean, that's that's how it is. Of course, at least for Thursday, we've got Kyle Bradis pitching for the Orioles in the series opener. That is encouraging and Let's hope that we still feel encouraged about that on Friday morning. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so let's dip into the mailbag today. This one is from listener Ty, a repeat writer. Ty asks today, what do you define as a successful playoff appearance for the season? And how has that definition changed since the start of the season? So I'm just going to say, Ty, before the season, I would have felt like the Orioles making the playoffs at all was a success. I think if they were able to slip into the wildcard three spot with like 88 wins or something like that before the season, again, that would have felt like really about the upper bound of my expectations for the 2023 Orioles. It seems like it seemed like if things went reasonably well for enough things went well and not too much went wrong, I thought the Orioles would probably end up right about in the 79 to 80 win range right now, like the Texas Rangers, Toronto Blue Jays, and Seattle Mariners are. Those are the three teams who are going to probably constitute the wildcard two, wildcard three, and the first wild, the first team that misses the wildcard. If the Orioles were in that range, I'd be thinking, yeah, you know what? That feels just about right. Um, for what this team maybe should have accomplished, quote unquote, based on their uh, what I thought their talent level was and what I thought they would be able to achieve. And I would then be feeling like, you know what, it would just be, okay, we're happy to be here. Kind of like the, uh, you know, the number 16 seed in the NCAA basketball tournament or whatever, you know, the people in those positions, if they qualify for the tournament, they've had a good year, right? And it would be obviously the Orioles, if they did make the postseason as wildcard three, 
they wouldn't be quite as on the 16 seed level, but you know, it's the same concept. And I would feel like progress was made just by the Orioles making it into the postseason at all. Well, now the Orioles are on pace to finish with 102 wins, and they've only got 18 games left to play. So it feels like an imperative to me for a team that has shown this much quality for this long to at least win the division, get the bye, and at least win one playoff series. I feel like less than this would be disappointing. Uh, It's why I'm not even following the complicated permutations for the Orioles' clinch anything magic number right now because they fluctuate based on uh, the results of all of the Mariners, Rangers, and Blue Jays on a night-to-night basis to sort out who the number is even against because those teams have games left against each other. So, I mean, really, you know, the Orioles have 91 wins, so although they are close to clinching the anything, like, that's a humdrum accomplishment at this point, you know? Like, it's, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because it does matter, but also it doesn't matter, you know, right? Like, if the Orioles, uh, again, like if they, even if they waste the division lead they have right now over the Rays, three games lead with 18 to play, that would be a demoralizing finish. You know, like if they end up wild card one, that would be disappointing relative to where they are in the standings right now. And then if they cannot advance even one series in the postseason after having this kind of regular season success, like especially in the immediate aftermath, that would be bitterness uh, for me. Although, ultimately, I think the Orioles would have something to celebrate about this season. Again, as long as they win at least eight, go eight and 10 in their remaining 18 games, this is going to be the winningest regular season Orioles team to ever play at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. So we don't want to get so singularly focused on, okay, the season is only a success if the Orioles win the World Series. You know, Uh, especially given how much they've exceeded their preseason expectations, right? But nonetheless, I mean, I want to see the Orioles win the World Series. You know, as I say at the beginning of every episode, they've never won in my life. It would be pretty freaking cool to see the Orioles win it all. You know, I've gotten to see two uh, Baltimore Ravens Super Bowl championships. I got to see the University of Maryland men's basketball team win the NCAA tournament. I got to see... UMBC as a 16th seed knock off the University of Virginia. Uh, and those were all pretty cool sports memories, but none of that would have anything to do. They would all pale in comparison to the Orioles winning the World Series. You know, the Orioles are my number one sports love. That's why I run an Orioles blog and have an Orioles podcast. And, you know, I don't, uh, I don't talk about those other things on the internet so much. And, I mean, I want to see the Orioles advance in the postseason because – You never know when you're going to get to make it back or in what kind of shape you will be in when you make it back. Like, look back to the 2012 Orioles. That launched the start of an era of excitement. They did make the playoffs three times over the five seasons starting there, but they didn't make it back the very next year. They ended up finishing seven wins shy of a postseason spot in the 2013 season. And I mean... The 2012 Orioles, that was a team that, like the 2023 Orioles are doing, overachieved its quote-unquote expected record probably on the strength of its bullpen and winning more one-run games than its winning percentage. And going from 2012 to 2013, 
Jim Johnson suddenly adding blown saves and losses was really almost single-handedly a difference, taking the Orioles down from 93 wins in 2012 to 85 in 2013. So look to two years later, 2014, the Orioles did handily win the American League East. They dramatically won the American League Division Series with their sweep of the Tigers. You might have thought, wow, okay, this is it. This, they're the team of destiny. It's their year. No, four games of bad luck for the American League Championship Series against the Royals. Uh, you know, as, uh, as Billy Bean of Moneyball fame supposedly said, his stuff doesn't work in the playoffs. You know, really it is once you get into the playoffs. It is a crapshoot, although the team that is quote-unquote better has a better chance to win. It's not so much greater that uh, something it's it's probably not so much greater than even like 66 to 33 or 34 or whatever. Um, and the 34% comes along 34% of the time. And if you're the favorite team and the 34% hits, it doesn't feel like much fun. But as for 2014's follow-up act in 2015, you know, the Orioles brought back almost all of the same guys, uh, really except for Nelson Cruz and Nick Marcakis. And, Despite Chris Davis having one of his two great seasons and despite Manny Machado hitting 35 home runs, the offense tailed off significantly from 2014 to 2015. J.J. Hardy got old. Steve Pierce could not repeat his 2014 success. And the right field and DH spots, whoever got plugged into there, well, they couldn't couldn't replace Cruz and Marquecas, although Dan Duquette seemed to judge that he would be able to replace those guys cheaply. And he was wrong. And that was part of his cascading series of failure moves that ended up costing the Orioles uh, even being able to field an adequate starting rotation later on. And But as for the pitching staff in 2015, Chris Tillman was worse. Bud Norris completely obliterated after his 2014 season. Miguel Gonzalez was worse. Kevin Gossman was a little bit worse. So, I mean, the staff struggled overall. And that was even despite Ubaldo Jimenez having his best and really only good Orioles season where he had exactly a 100 league average ERA plus. So again, I mean, you just cannot count from one year to the next of everything going exactly as well as it did does in year one. And one more example, the 2016 Orioles, they made the wild card game. We don't need to talk about what happened there. And it felt like they could just bring almost everybody right back. And they went from 89 wins in 2016 down to just 75 in the 2017 season. And, of course, 2017, you had Zach Britton, whose flawless save streak was a big part of why the Orioles could overcome what was not very good rotation in 2016. Chris Davis started his really steep decline into, I don't even feel like coming up with the words for how bad it ultimately was. You know, uh, Mark Trumbo could not repeat the one-off season. The Orioles should have let him go collect the draft pick. Instead, they gave him a three-year contract. Manny Machado tailed off from 2016 to 2017. And then in the rotation, you had Chris Tillman's career pretty much completely evaporate. Ubaldo Jimenez headed for disaster, and Wade Miley, who the Orioles inexplicably traded for in 2016, continued to stink. And so what do you get from all that? My point in all of this is really that nothing is guaranteed from one year to the next. And, you know, looking ahead to 2024, not that 
Um, I mean, there's a lot to still be excited about for 2023, but since we're looking ahead a little bit, I feel like we can already fear that Felix Bautista, who was a big difference maker this year, might not end up pitching next year. That's not official yet. The team is still slowly nursing him along and thinking maybe they're going to be able to get him to pitch again. I don't know, man. I, I, you know, it's not even like they've had him get the platelet rich plasma injection in his elbow, which is like, don't pitch for four to six weeks and then, you know, try and rehab. Like they haven't even done that. It's just lightly throwing catch and hoping they can build him back up. I don't know. I don't see how he's going to throw one Oh two with a partially torn UCL. But then again, I am not a medical expert, so I don't know. But I mean, that's like if you, especially if you look to the the 2012 to 2013 formula, you know, Jim Johnson not being able to follow up on his 2012, like a possible setback from 2023 to 2024 is if you can't have Felix Bautista lights out at the end of games, right? And then you can look at like, will the corner outfield duo of Austin Hayes and Anthony Santander be at least as good and at least as healthy? Is a guy like Ryan O'Hearn going to be able to have a second good season as uh, kind of a platoon role player? Will Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, John Means, and Dean Kramer end up being 80% of a good starting rotation? Will they all stay healthy? I mean, I think that we can reasonably hope that these Orioles over the next few years are going to be better positioned to have sustained year-to-year success because the farm is a lot stronger than it ever was in the Dan Duquette era. And hopefully it's only going to continue to be stronger, strong even as they lose out on picking in the top five because international signings that the Orioles never, almost never made under Duquette are going to start coming online as prospects. We've already seen Samuel Basayo making his debut for Bowie this week, and that's, you know, really the first of what will hopefully be many. So I think that means the Orioles will be able to be less reliant on players who are already 30 or older, as the Orioles were once you especially got around to 2016 and beyond. But, like, you know, I want to see the Orioles achieve as much as they possibly can this year, because even if you're counting on prospects, like, it's not promised that the prospects are going to pan out in the positions that they're ultimately going to be needed even, you know, the guys who got themselves top 50 or top 25 uh, rankings on whatever list, right? I mean, we want Colton Kowser, Kobe Mayo, Heston Kerstad, and others to force their way up. You know, we want Joey Ortiz to do the same or get traded for maybe someone awesome. I mean, we want Cade Povich or Chase McDermott or some other pitchers to be able to pitch their way into the big league rotation. We want all these things, but we, the fans, wanting that doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's just, you know, those those two things aren't connected. What we want and what happens with the Orioles, there's there's no relationship whatsoever. It's just, uh, you know, what, what we want determines, I guess, what we um, are going to be disappointed if it doesn't happen. But whatever's going to happen is going to happen regardless of what you or I or anyone wants. So... I mean, I, I want to see the Orioles make it as far as they can in this postseason that they are a near certainty to make and pretty darn good chance of at least hosting a wild card round because they've got a cushion, I believe, of 10 games over the uh, current wild card one team. And so, uh, or excuse me, over the current wild card two team. And so, I mean, that's um, that's good, right? But 
you know, they got to win a series. They got to advance. Otherwise, it's just going to be like the 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 whole series, you know, looking back on the series, it'll be all the stuff that didn't happen that could have happened and taken the Orioles closer to a World Series. Who knows what might have happened then? So, I, you know, Ty, I, I just hope the Orioles can win at least one series. And, you know, if they win one and then lose one, I'm still going to be annoyed. But I think ultimately if the Orioles advance one round beyond whatever the, the uh, they qualify for, um, I think in the end that'll be feel like a success. If you have a topic or a question for a future episode, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who has written in so far. That is all that I have for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or a review and tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. New episodes will be out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will be back with you on Friday, hopefully with at least one Orioles win to talk about between now and then. You can leave a comment on camdenchat.com. You'll find me there under the comments with the name Eat More SK, although I do write articles under my real name, Mark Brown. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.